Welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness as the term is used in conversations around race and racism, and as it pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of whiteness at our current juncture. What does whiteness mean, and does it matter? Every episode, I'm joined by a guest who offers unique insights into these questions and many more. Today, I'm joined by Irish-Nigerian academic Emma Dabari. Emma is an activist, broadcaster and teaching fellow in the African department at SOAS University in London and a visual sociology PhD researcher at Goldsmiths University, also here in London. Her 2019 debut, Don't Touch My Hair, published by Penguin Books, was an Irish Times bestseller and published to critical and commercial acclaim. The book also inspired a national conversation about race and hair and has led to changing regulations in schools and in the British Army. She's followed that up with her latest book, What White People Can Do Next, From Allyship to Coalition, which has been described by the Irish Times as having echoes of James Baldwin and as though it's written by the love child of James Connolly and Audre Lorde. And it's just been announced as an Irish Times and Sunday Times bestseller. Emma, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. I'm good. Um, Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. Um, Just a a quick... um, not a correction, but just uh, expansion. Yeah. The James Baldwin reference wasn't the Irish Times. That the Irish Times was the Connolly and and uh, Audrey Lord, and then the James Baldwin was um, a, a review of it. So just just want to make that clear. That one didn't. Thank the Irish you. Times. Appreciate you clarifying that one. <laughs> so it, it's been an eventful year, obviously, um, and the issue of race has been a really prominent feature of the public narrative, whether it comes to you know, the COVID death rates, the George Floyd murder trial currently ongoing, the BLM process which followed and and spread globally, the shooting recently of of Asian people in in Atlanta. Are we having the right kinds of conversation in the public arena when it comes to race? Yeah, you know what, like I I wrote what white people can do next at my frustration at at the at the where the public conversation is at like I fear that we so that I've never seen race and racism being spoken about so much like occupying so many column inches um you know just having so much mainstream media attention and just being a real talking point like amongst people in like a really organic way which is which is like a a kind of an un, not let me not say unprecedented because this we've mm. actually been here before and we do tend to be quite ahistorical in our mm. approach which is one of the problems but it is um certainly in many of our lifetimes unprecedented okay um but i see what is potentially this historic opportunity being potentially squandered by a narrative that says yes racism is bad but operates as though there's possibly other outcomes than racism when we continue to understand the world through this racialized lens that we have used since um, the period of the the, the 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 transatlantic slave trade starting in the um in the kind of 17th not that this the period in the 17th century when we see the um invention you know of the white race and the black race um 
as a as a kind of result of what's happening with the with the transatlantic slave trade. Um, so what I'm seeing in this current moment is this acknowledgement that racism is bad, but not enough unpacking of what race actually is and what whiteness is. So in the book, I'm trying to like put the emphasis back on whiteness because white white people have been since the invention of the racial category have been uh, even though it is a racialized construction the kind of normative power of whiteness is mm. the fact that white people are presented as unracialized the mm. default norm from which everybody else deviates all other people mm. being racialized you know mm. um so i'm trying to put the emphasis back on whiteness to understand whiteness not just as a racial identity but also as a modus operandi, as a system of knowledge and and and, and behaviour, and um, it being invented in the English colonial Caribbean, we can trace it back to an actual year. It's like 1661, where the idea of white people is introduced and codified into law, and from there spreads. Um, throughout the Caribbean, the English colonies in America, and eventually through, throughout the world, to so the point where people begin to, at, at this stage, think it's just a kind of a foundational concept, you know, that there have always been white people, that there have always been black people. But it's a really kind of, you know, recent, um, recent, relatively recent historical identity. And um, it is its origins go back to the also the um kind of origins of the type of capitalism that we live under now well mm. it, that's kind of now permutated like a, a permutation of that is neoliberal capitalism which is like kind of uh what's the word mainstreamed in the UK and the United mm. States from kind of 1979 but what that the the, the, the form of capitalism that kind of that comes out of um is one that has its origins you know as again in the kind of transatlantic slave trade and is really is is becoming the the organizing logic of society at the same time that race and whiteness is being invented so the Mm. race racialized taxonomy that we have today is intimately linked to capitalism as well and one of the things that it does is to the two main reasons these racial identities are invented are first of all to justify the enslavement of Africans who now become reimagined as black people, a group, a, a group that is seen as inferior, inferior to um the to Europeans who become reimagined as white people, a group that is seen as inherently superior. So central to that construction of whiteness is this idea of an inherent superiority, you know, in white people. And so that justifies the enslavement of the the newly minted black race. Um, but another thing that it does, which is like so key and so interesting to me, is it shuts down the first time we see it in Barbados. And again, when we, we see it in colonial Virginia after a after a revolt is um, when there are uprisings between indentured Irish and enslaved Africans against their English landlords and sometimes Scottish landlords. And they come together to fight the elite class that is oppressing 
them both to varying degrees, but you know both of them are having their their, their, their labor exploited. So they come together, and um, there's there's a series of uprisings in in Barbados against these um the landlord class, and what these new slave laws um, that are introduced do um, in introducing the idea of whiteness is, is is shut down those emergent class solidarities that are so threatening to power. And then, you know, the European indentured laborers come to see their interests as more in line in alignment with other white people who they might not have, you know, who, 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 who exploit them. Um, and it shuts down those um, emergent affinity, those affinities and emergent solidarities with um with with enslaved enslaved Africans who you know the circumstances of their life are at that stage more more similar similar to and again in Virginia when we see it it's after a rebellion called Bacon's um Bacon's Rebellion which is a union of com- com- commoners it's referred to as again where we see enslaved African and indentured English labour come together to um, fight the English elite in the in, in the colony and the English landlord class, whiteness shuts down those allegiances. Mm. And I mean, um, I want to come back to um, the 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 kind of reasons that you wanted to write the book in a second, but you you make so many interesting points there. And one of the questions I have, I suppose, is if we think of race as having operated certainly at that particular point in history, if we're thinking about Bacon's Rebellion and, and around that period as a way of breaking a kind of working class revolt against the one percent mm-hmm. um the one percent of that time right mm-hmm. um absolutely do do you think of class solidarity today as being a crucial feature of dismantling or challenging whiteness yeah i think of it as a crucial feature of building the type of mass move- movements that are necessary to actually bring about the kind of change that is is uh, is needed, you know, mm. um, and I, I again on the book I, I draw on our um, forebears, and I look at the work of the the Black Panthers, um, who you know didn't succeed in their aims not because their strategies were necessarily ineffective, but because in fact, you know they were they were seen as such a threat to the status quo that mm. the that 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 no um that 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 they were on that they were undermined and they were and, and the movement was destroyed you know because um they were too they, they they were too threatening to the to the to the to the power structure so i look at you know fred hampton who was the um young like he's only 21 like it's so mad that he's only 21 when he dies when yeah. he kills yeah um, it, it, it's difficult to get to get your head around you know um but like 21 years old when he's killed um by the police and he was organizing what he called the rainbow coalition which was um a coalition between the black panthers the puerto rican young lords and the young patriots who were a white working class southern um group you know that had like the flipping confederate flag that yeah despicable this was so interesting yeah as their as 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 their as their symbol you know he can identify that you know while the young uh patriots 
don't experience racism. They do experience police brutality. They do live in like materially impoverished conditions and they do suffer from the inequalities perpetuated by capitalism. So on those grounds, build, they build this, you know, they, they build this coalition where they're like, it's the, the, the startings of like a mass movement. Of course, mm. Hampton is killed within a year of this work. Um, but that vision was there, you know? Yeah, and I, I, it's so interesting to me that they, they ended up dropping the Confederate flag, right, out of respect for the other movements that they were allied with, the Young Patriots, if I if I read that right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, that was very, very powerful to me. Um, and somebody that I was in conversation with was, you know, was saying that, you know, if the Panthers had demanded the kind of allyship that we see, <laughs> that we see, today online they probably wouldn't have been perceived as such a great threat to the state mm. um you hear hampton saying yeah they use this flag but if we can use that like to mobilize them and to like work with them then like so be it like let's like let's just let, let's do it you know and then what happens is the young patriots themselves renounce the flag out of the great respect that they have for him, which to me is far more effective than, you know, an online, an online pylon or saying Mm. we can't work with them, it's toxic behavior, um, which doesn't go any further, you know, to actually, for people to see themselves the error of their ways rather than an attempt to chastise them into it or publicly Mm. shame them into it. It's a lot more effective. Mm. And I mean, you, you talk a, a, a lot in the book about this concept of allyship. And, and it's, a I think, a, a really interesting point you make about um, unpicking some of the terminology. And I hope we'll get a chance to talk about some of it in, in a bit more detail. But you say that, um, you know, a term that, that I, you know, it's a term I also have a fair share of reservations about. But you say today's allyship fails to build the necessary coalitions with its reliance on information rather than knowledge it's fetishizing of privilege without any clear means of transferal, as well as the ways in which it actively reinforces whiteness. Allyship is not only not up to the task, it is in many ways counterproductive. Could you break that down for us, if, if, you, if you would? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> like, I'm just trying, I, 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 maybe I want to get the page up so I can... See, it's, oh, like th- it's like three things. Do you know what page it is? By any chance? Oh, I should. You know, I usually am really good about putting up all my pages. Let me go back. <laughs> I do have it all highlighted. Yes, I, can, I do. I... Page 19. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, the, because obviously we hear a lot of calls for allyship and I'm, I'm really interested in hearing also how you see um, the uh, the relationships between different movements and groups within a a potential coalition you know does does the sort of hierarchy of racism and the the hierarchy that it creates when you create an anti-racist movement do you then subvert that hierarchy does it mean that some people take the lead and some people follow Uh, you know in this case people who are racialized as black or brown taking the lead and white people following that lead or how do you perceive as well that kind of coordination um, between the different parts that come together in that coalition? Yeah, 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 of course. Um, 
So to me, um, allyship, one of the fundamental kind of issues with it is that it replaces solidarity with charity, okay? And it's this idea that, like, the white ally is operating from a position of um, kind of a position of uncomplicated privilege um, and as a charitable act or you know just being a good person or being like a liberal person or being a socially progressive person they kind of choose to to help the struggle for racial equality they choose to help those who are less fortunate than themselves I've seen a lot of references to the ally and the victim Mm. um, which I take I mean I'm not an easily offended person I'm not particularly offended by language um, but I find that formulation like deeply patronizing. Um, mm. I don't perceive of myself as a victim because I'm of African descent. Um, and I have experienced even a lot of explicit racism, but I still don't see myself as a, as, as a victim. Um, mm. So, and I know a, a lot of other pe- black people who also, um, you know, <laughs> don't have that perception of themselves at all. Mm. Um, so there's a real issue with that kind of power dynamic there. But also, it, it, it to me, that's the wrong framing. Like, in order to build a mass movement, and also it, it doesn't, it fails to join the dots. It fails to identify um, the fact that um, neoliberalism and the kind of late-stage capitalism that we live under, you know, is actually damaging and destructive to to everybody and to and to the earth you know of course the, the earth itself can actually not sustain this imperative for um you know this this necessity of the system for constant and ongoing growth you know it's it's it's, it's unsustainable yeah. it's and yeah. that's a threat it's causing the destruction of our biosphere and it's a threat to all of us you know mm. um so while there is the experience of racism that is also being experienced by black people and people who are who, who are not racialized as white to varying degrees, um, the same forces, you know, that have a disregard for black people, the same forces that have a disregard for indigenous people, for women, for the poor, for the marginalized, for the earth itself, it's the same force, you know, it's the, the same kind of group, right? So if we can identify that the source, the origin is the same place, we can create coalitions of solidarity based on, you know, shared interest rather than on on on, on, on charity to address the, the 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 source of the exploitation you know i think we we have a really atomized approach to issues and if we and we don't all have exactly the same issues i'm not suggesting that i'm certainly not suggesting that race is ignored but i think mm. rather than having this atomized approach to our issues seeing the ways as the organizers of the past did, you know, even like the Combahee River Collective, I guess the most famous um, member, the most recognizable name is probably Lord, um, Audrey Lord. Um, They are always working in code. They they state in their, um, their kind of mission statement, which is available, which you can find online easily, like 10 or 11 pages long. They um, they frame themselves as working in coalition with men 
working coalition with you know kind of radical white people working in coalition with other groups who are who are interested in liberation and again the black panthers um you've got um Huey Newton. Um, I mean, th this does lead to tension to tensions in the party. But Huey Newton is 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 um, creating these like um, is is open to working with like radical whites. You know, I talk in the book about the the formation of a white panther group um, yes that was very interesting yeah yeah so let me just find that yeah so um the white panthers form and the uh, white panthers are a non-racist group i know the name sounds like it might be you know kind of a white ethno-nationalist i had a double take to be fair but <laughs> yeah. but i did i did think the black panthers might have something to say if uh, if the group wasn't fully in line with their vision so um, <laughs> Yeah, no, but it, it's really interesting the emergence, therefore, of this these white the, the White Panther group. Who, who, you know, t tell us tell us a bit about them. So they they were motivated by kind of joining or aligning themselves with the Black Panthers, but from obviously a different subjectivity. Yeah, exactly. So um, Newton was asked what white people could do to support them, and he replied, "They can form a White Panther Party." Um, so then, in 1968, two years after the Black Panther Party was set up, um, the White Panther Party was set up by three people, um, and the white, I'll just read a little bit from the book, the White Panthers 10 point program was assertive in its demands for a better life for all. This is an example of white people making demands that would benefit both black and white. And I just list the first two demands. We want freedom. We want the power for all people to determine our own destinies Two, We want justice. And it goes on this 10. Um, I say, of course, it is vital to remember that while coalition building, we cannot subsume everything under one single struggle. But that is exactly why we need coalitions of shared interest. Contrast the demands of the White Panthers above with the almost groveling tone of a lot of allyship today. You know, this demand of obsequious language. Um, uh, I, I, I go on. Sorry, with the almost groveling tone of a lot of allyship today, unless one is a masochist, which, of course, mm. some will be, is it not far more persuasive to be prevented to be presented with a clear vision of the type of society we want to create because we all stand to benefit from it rather mm. than being chastised to transfer your privilege to a black person, especially when the steps about how to actually do that are at best vague and nebulous? Things mm. I've seen are call out racism, take a pay cut, only support diverse brands. They're all interpersonal. They're all contained neatly within a neoliberal framework. And they're all cutely infographical for your socials. Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Crucially, right? <laughs> um, and, and actually, I really wanted to pick up on that point because I think, do you sense that part of the challenge of the anti-racist movement today is the platforms on which those movements are trying to organize are the platforms we use actually maybe subverting some of the efforts which might take a different form if let's say you could gather you know 50 people 100 people in a town hall let's say and and have a conversation 100%, rather than 100 yeah. so this organizing is being done via platform capitalism um, we already live in um, like so the neoliberalism that we live under is so, so it's not that the movements of the past you know are like without excuse me without um, problems and one of the reasons you have the Combahee River Collective who are uh, black lesbian 
feminists, uh, socialists, um, why they come together is because of the, um, the, 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 the patriarchy, you know, that existed in the black liberation movements of the, um, of the of the 60s and 70s and then the racism that existed in the white feminist organizing so you know that th they come together to address um the, the ways in which they were in which they were excluded so it's not to over romanticize that organizing of the past and say that it was completely without flaw but it is mm. to say that um that there were more collect there were more collective goals you know and they have been increasingly replaced in keeping with the kind of the 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 development into neoliberalism and it's like entrenchment in all sectors of our of our lives um mm. far more individualistic goals it's more about you know it's funny now actually because we say then that there were kind of leaders there were there were there were men around you know there were kind of very famous men around whom we organized um and and, and that's different now but what i do see then in the past is this identification of more collective goals grounded in community work um as opposed to individual um you know individual people building their own their own platforms and this concern of like you know a, a seat at the table for 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 for, for individuals rather than a, a transformation of, of of society from which uh, mm. kind of everyone everyone benefits so yeah i think a lot of the problem is to do with the, the, the it's the gross individualism that like characterizes um that characterizes life at the moment and is one of the things that our, our culture and our society and is one of the things that the activism should be working against but in many ways the activism reproduces those norms and then that mm. is further exacerbated by the the, the 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 platforms in which this is happening and yet that that, that type of platform capitalism mm. and and to talk about the the pulling up the seat to the table is, is an interesting one to me because I think for you know coming at it from effect outside of the 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 mainstream feminist movement and, and a critique in fact of the mainstream feminist movement which has in many ways called for you know women to be able to have a seat at the at men's tables but th there's a whole you know group of feminists that would say well maybe we just don't want to be sat at that table like maybe that's not a great table maybe we don't even want to be sat at a table maybe we want to be sat elsewhere mm -hmm. um is there a sense that we are lacking a, um, a kind of wider um, understanding of what it is that the the goal of the anti-racism movement is. Are you know is anti-racism in the West where it's you know where we're speaking from today um, kind of potentially guilty of seeking out equality at the detriment of people of color in other parts of the world and, and in some ways being oblivious. To that wider struggle or is it legitimate to say well you know you know we live in a capitalism context you know you know black capitalism is necessary we need you know black and brown billionaires oh my god i feel that was that was a, a provocative question <laughs> but um, I, will, I, I, well, will, I will respond <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you've you've come across these debates before um and they're very live ones aren't they currently yeah yeah, yeah. so again it's not a historic thing i mean president like if if we just kind of look at like history president nixon pursued a, 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 an aggressive policy of black capitalism to undermine the radical work of the black panthers and it, it worked 
you know, it worked. So to, to now present, to now kind of, no, but no one is eulogizing President Nixon and his creation of Black Panther, of, of Black capitalism. We're using the, the names and the kind of symbols of the Black Panthers, but then actually fetishizing and aspiring to the type of uh, systems that were used to dismantle them you know so there's there's a kind of a there's a hypocrisy there um mm. and i want to ah what you had said to me just before that um made me think of something that i was about feminism and the table and whether we want to um, even be sat at that table or yeah yeah yeah, even... yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah totally thank you no, sorry I... so i'm just looking for the um that's it the black radical tradition so i draw on a lot of you know like thinkers from the black radical tradition people from fred moton to hornell west um uh angela davis uh george lipsitz so i i would like to um cedric robinson is is uh, he wrote a book called black marxism which is you know kind of uh, the a seminal text in the black radical tradition i'd like to just read a quick quote about what the black radical tradition emerged out of the necessity Please. of it and yeah. why and it, it, it answers very well what you're um what you're asking me mm. sorry ugh, I didn't have the page marked because I didn't know no because Emma did not receive any of these questions prior to our conversation <laughs> for anyone wondering <laughs> so yeah take 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 a take a minute you know but but a bit but it's a question that comes up a lot right and these are different completely different models of um anti-racism I suppose or or, or visions of equality yeah, equality with human I don't even want to call it anti-racist because in a way yeah. that's like the, the, this this is like liber, liberation work you know everybody started mm. using word anti-racism was like mainstreamed in kind of 2020 and suddenly everyone's everyone's just using this this language and I'm like well that's a, that's a particular uh that's a particular framework and 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 and, and uh, literature and there are actually other ways of imagining freedom which you know my my I've been like you know kind of involved in like uh studying this this like kind of black thought and consciousness and 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 liberation for a long time now and um my research isn't really grounded in kind of like corporate anti-racism it's far more grounded in like post-colonial studies and um yeah like the 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 black radical tradition which seemed to have a different you know framework and, and set of objectives which i find far more generative and inspiring and it, it, they don't just passively reproduce the norms of neoliberal ideology it, to do anti-racism in fact they you know kind of um boldly challenge it i want to find this quote so badly you're probably like it's not really it doesn't matter but like let I'm no no if it is um while we're talking I can just uh search yeah. It in the, yeah I mean that, that that point about liberation I think is a wider movement is an interesting one and it's one I've thought about and uh, in terms of whether the reason that we're left with kind of meme anti-racism as it's almost like the default is partly because there isn't much of a wider appetite for a resistance to neoliberalism um, and neoliberal economics and that the demands of a liberation movement are actually far more um, substantive mm-hmm. um, of, of us, right, as individuals and, and, and ultimately as, as societies. Um, 
than the piecemeal work that can be demanded from um, the the sort of Google it Google it version and representational like identity politics. Mm. And so, do you feel that maybe some of that because because there's a lot of different perspective even on the sort of diversity movement representation politics would you do you go so far as to say that 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 actually runs counter to the objective of liberation by ultimately potentially bolstering the current infrastructure i think i think the seat at the table like discourse is um you know, okay, so how can we achieve equality in a system that that is predicated on inequality and needs inequality to, 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 to survive? So even if one group can achieve their seat at the table or can achieve equality, it will be at the expense of somebody else because that's the nature of the system. And that's why right. people like the Panthers were looking for parallel institutions because they believed that there was a, a fundamental moral, moral mor- the, 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 the desire not to be included in institutions that they saw as morally bankrupt, but to create parallel ones, you know. Um, I've just found the quote I was looking for. So the scholar Cedric Robinson, author of, the Black, of Black Marxism, a foundational Black radical tradition text, describes the black radical tradition as emerging from a split in the black community. On one side, there are those with a liberal bourgeois consciousness packed with capitalist ambitions and individualist intuitions. This is in the black community. Their objective was Mm. essentially to gain access to the roles and rewards monopolized by whites. Yet on the other side, there was a radical proletarian consciousness that sought to realize a higher moral standard than the ones embraced by whites and their black imitators. So to me, that's the distinction. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, so that, that is very much a critique of, of the sort of black capitalism model um, as a response to inequality, um, which, you know, I think as, as I suppose is, uh, it, it comes back to the whole um, taking the lead within the movement, right? And which lead to follow? Because um, if you believe in a wider liberation movement, but the figures within the conversation are calling for a, a model of black capitalism as the way forward, then, you know, I suppose the question for people who are white or racialized as white in this case is, you know, is that a model that you really want to be supporting if ultimately it's one that you believe is harmful, like you say, to, to people, but also to the planet, to the, 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 the idea that actually sustains inequality in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, you say the in the book, the, the mainstream anti-racist conversation is conveniently devoid of any analysis of class or capitalism to the extent you say that the transfer of privilege to marginalized groups starts to look like the transfer of resources to people in the global north, who although members of marginalized groups, still often have structural privilege over other people with whom they might share racial, but not class identities. This is calling for a, like you say, a a liberation movement that 
asks people to look beyond their subjectivities within a given society am i am i right in thinking that is that how i should interpret well, it, it asks for the kind of like just the, the what should be a basic recognition that like all, all all black people do not have the same experiences or position or positions or access, um, you know, and then I go the, the bit that you just read, I go on to say that there's like, you know, a big hang on. There's a big do you have the next bit in, in front of you? Because I don't know where it is about that bit about the transfer of resources oh i have to look Sorry. it up again um, <laughs> that's all right um no i do not have it directly in front of me but i think after that because i had a section after that about um uh the way that you say that many white people are not in possession of enough privilege to transfer its benefits to anyone and even for those who are why would they beyond being nice or as an act of charity and white saviorism in brackets with its links to white supremacy uh, feel like sacrificing anything, particularly in the midst of a global recession. Um, exactly. So, so it's not yeah, a compelling narrative. And also, how is somebody that's in a very precarious position but is racialized as white? How are they supposed to? Oh, also, what is the white privilege? You know, like it's again, there's like a lack of consistency around um, actually definitions because white privilege, uh, according to like Peggy McIntosh, she kind of you know uh, popularizes the concept. I think it's in 1998, unpacking the invisible knapsack. Um, the white privilege that, which is kind of what we're we're, we're borrowing from when we're now using these conversations to when we're now using that concept today is mm. like it's kind of like you know a, a free it, it's moving through the world as an unracialized person you know it's having the freedom to not have to be to, to not to, to not be racialized to move through the world kind of unmarked by race in a way to not have that burden of being you know racialized as black or as as non-white and all of the freedoms and privileges that come with that but if that's something that's centralized centralized on kind of the, the racialized white body how can that be transferred the kind of transfers i'm seeing seeing that are being demanded are more like economic transfers so and, and resource transfers so if that is the aim, that's a redistribution of resources, which requires like a conversation about class and capitalism. But that's absent. Instead, it's this it seems like demands for, yeah, kind of resources and access, which is I, I, which is I understand. And that's that, that is the redistribution of resources, which is a whole a whole section in in the book. Yeah. Um, but that can't be achieved through interpersonal demands for a transfer of privilege you know it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't make sense it's like it's not it's like these things are not being thought about strategically but they're being they're, they're kind of happening in the space of inter yeah interpersonal exchanges and um what's the word that I'm looking for almost a um hang on so just give me a moment no, go for it. I, I definitely want to pick up on that interpersonal idea because I wonder why you think that we are at a point where the focus is very much on the interpersonal. And I, and I say this obviously as someone who, you know, presents a podcast, you know, we need to talk about whiteness, which a lot of the time people perceive as being a podcast, you know, um, taking aim at white people, at people racialized as white, when the you know the objective from the outset has always been the structures of whiteness, um, and See, so these, the these 
yeah so the focus on the interpersonal seems to be like a an almost obsessive kind of return to the individual over the structure why does that keep happening because like so that's got to do with like yeah our our focus on the individual rather than the collective or the or the structure um which is you know a um uh sorry the my 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 uh son has just come has just come back in um okay could could you guys wait outside for like two minutes thank you um I'm yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna have to wrap up um sure we'll we'll start wrapping up yeah I'll just I'll just I'll just make that point so yeah this 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 um individualist um imperative that is um you know characteristic of neoliberalism and also um it's these like individualized grievances rather it, it won't bring about the kind of systemic and structural change that is actually required and I think again the the misunderstanding comes from rather than kind of like grounding this in theory and systems everything being at the um level of personal experience you know Mm. which personal experience is is an important part of the conversation but it can't be the beginning and the end there has to be more of like a theoretical grounding and understanding And we have Absolutely. to see whiteness as a, as a system. That's something I talk about a lot in the book. Whiteness as a modus operandi, a, a modus operandi. Whiteness as a way of seeing the world that is um, that is uh, uh, inherently connected to 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 capitalism, um, but also a way of seeing the world that you don't have to just be racialized as white to participate in. You know. Um, mm. Obviously, if you're racialized as white, it's a completely that that is a completely different experience of it. But yeah, people see the world through the lens. There are people who are not racialized as white who see the world through the lens of whiteness. That's the whole. That's the legacy of like I, I talk a lot about like kind of like in, in, imperial logic. You know, even seeing the world through the taxon, even understanding ourselves through the taxonomy of race, reductive and biologically essentialist ideas about race are seeing the world through the lens of whiteness, you know, and it's not just white people that do that. Mm. It's not just people who are racialized as white who do that. That's something that's been mainstreamed, though, by like an an, an imperial kind of knowledge systems. Well, I mean, we could talk about a whole load of things, but I know you've got to go to your son. So if you don't mind, we could do a quick fire round. Um, We have a quick fire round of questions. So um, very quick questions with shortish answers. I was going to ask the first one with your definition of whiteness, but I think you've just answered that one for cool. us. Uh, what is the root of racism? The root of racism is the um, invention of racism and those inherent power, power dynamics and ideas, notions of superiority and inferiority that have been enshrined in, in, in these racial categories from their inception and what we have never fully and truthfully grappled with. Is there such a thing as a post-racial worldview and is this universalist ideal ever achievable or desirable? Not achievable until we grapple, until we have a real reckoning with uh, race, what it was invented to do, what it is, what it continues to be used for, to to now try and impose a post-racist narrative, a post-racial narrative on the world before that work is done is um it, it is actually like a, a form of like kind of violence and erasure 
is course, whiteness. Perhaps, sorry, very quickly. Sorry, go ahead. For yeah. most of the history of humanity, people didn't see themselves through this racialized lens. But now that we have done so for 400 years, we have a lot of work to undo before we could start to move uh, towards to, towards not seeing ourselves in that way. You know, is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism? Or liberation. Yeah, but we have to understand what it is that we're talking about. It's not individual white people, but it's whiteness as a system. Great. Um, Emma Dabari, thank you so much for your time. Uh, where would you advise people turn to if they'd like to learn more about your work or if they'd like to order your book? If they'd like to order the book, they can um, order it from Hive, which is a place, which is a site that um, connects to like independent um, booksellers and, and, and retailers. If they're listening in Ireland, um, I, I would I, I would recommend off the top of my head, Gutter Shop Books. I, oh, God, I think that's the name. Um, Debray Books. Um, what are what are some of the other ones? Um, yeah. Try and support independent and local bookshops um i where you can find my work yeah the book <laughs> itself um and then on social media um my name emma dabbery um would be the best place yeah sorry let me get the name of that bookshop right no um, worries yeah we can always out here to try and support the smaller booksellers so that's um definitely what this section is for if you want to take is... a look at that one um oh sorry got a, got a bookshop that's what it's called yeah. got a bookshop in got it bookshop in Dublin <laughs> fantastic well thank you again uh for joining us thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of we need to talk about whiteness please subscribe on iTunes Spotify or SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness <laughs>